Hey, New Life, it's so great to see you and have you join us today. I'm where, whether you're joining us from Facebook Live or from our website, newlife.nyc slash live, we're so glad you're here joining us for worship and for the sermon today. Uh, my name is Pastor Sharon Swift. I'm a pastor here on the Community Life team. And uh, I want to encourage you today with a word from Philippians. We've been going through a series called Choosing Joy in All Seasons. And we're using the, the letter of that Paul wrote to the Philippians in order to uh, delve into this topic because here he is suffering and in jail writing this letter, but he is choosing joy. And we want to discover in this season and in all seasons how we can choose joy and be encouraged by the fact that he continued to choose joy. And so we are going to delve into a, another part of chapter one. Um, we're going to start at verse 27 today. Um, we've already had a couple sermons uh, from chapter one, but there's even more here for us to dig into. And so today we're going to look at uh, chapter one, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, illuminate your word for us today. Bring it to us fresh. By your spirit, give us a word of encouragement, a word of instruction, a word of hope. Keep us in your grip, Lord, and guide us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so when I was a teenager, the summer before I went to college, I actually worked two different jobs, and one of them was at a bakery. It was actually a really popular bakery in Nyack at the time. It's still there, uh, called the Runcible Spoon. Uh, I was, felt really lucky to get that job because uh, even though it was food service and it was busy, the pastries there were incredible. I mean, they were so good. And they were so good that when we opened, even at six in the morning, the line was out the door. And it would be out the door until almost 8.30 or so when people were really on their way to work. And if you didn't get there early, you did not get the best pastries. They had these morning buns and they were delicious and everyone was trying to get them when they came right out of the oven. And if you got there by, you know, 8.30 or 9, they were all gone. There was no chance of getting them. And so it was a really busy job. If you were there for the opening, you were just going nonstop for a couple of hours. And uh, so it was hard sometimes to uh, remain uh, friendly for customer service purposes. People were sometimes grumpy. They were upset when the person in front of them got the last pastry they wanted, or if we weren't moving fast enough or they were running late. A lot of times we got the brunt of it. But I was actually a new Christian at the time. And so it was like, I just had this delight in me that I was just so grateful 
to be a Christian. I was so grateful to have a job. I was so grateful that God had opened the door for me to go to college in spite of all these obstacles. I just, nothing was getting me down, you know, plus I was probably fueled by some sugar too. But all the same, I really loved, I just took joy and delight in working because I knew that in spite of the challenges I was facing day to day, that God was still doing something bigger in my life. And I was just at the beginning of it. And uh, so, you know, I'm serving, serving. No one, I'm just thinking, you know, face after face. I'm not thinking much about each person, but I'm trying to do my best to be joyful and, and serve. Well, one day I was in church and I'm just hanging out in the lobby after service and a woman rushes up to me. And she has her husband next to her and she said, see, I told you, I told you. And I have no idea who this woman is. I had never seen her before. I'd never seen her husband before, but she's making this big deal about figuring out who I was. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, what? I'm sorry, do I know you? And she said, you know, I come to the Runcible Spoon regularly and I watch you every time I come. And I say, that girl has so much joy. She has got to be a Christian. She just has to be. I just know it. And, you know, her husband would be like, okay, all right, you know. And then here she was. She saw me in her church. You know, she hadn't noticed me before. And she said, oh, I just knew it. I just knew you had to be a Christian. And it really stuck with me that the mark of, of joy on a Christian's life is a powerful mark. And yet, at the same time, we go through real pain and real struggle. And so how do we hold those two things? How do we uh, acknowledge the grief that we're living through and hold the fact that we have real joy, a deep abiding source of joy that the rest of the world just doesn't have? And so I think that that's part of what Paul is sharing with us in this letter to the Philippians. Even 2,000 years later, we can still see these elements that he is choosing joy over and over again in spite of so many obstacles. And here we see how he's helping the Philippians to cultivate that sense of joy. He's not asking them to just be mind, mindlessly joyful, um, denying in denial of their circumstances. In fact, we know actually in some of the earlier verses that he's acutely aware of reality. In the verses previous to this, he's talking about the real possibility of his death. That in fact, not only is he in jail, it's possible that he could be executed for his crime. And so he's not just, you know, pretending that everything is going to work out a-okay and that he's coming out of this alive, making plans as if things weren't really serious. In verse 21, he says that living is Christ and to die is gain. So, but he's saying, yes, he acknowledges that he could die. But the reality is if he lives, he continues to labor for Christ. And if he dies, his labor is finished and he gets to be with Christ. In his mind, it's a win-win. He can't lose. And so he chooses joy. He opts into joy. He cultivates joy in his suffering. So we do that. We don't deny what is happening. We don't deny that the reality is out there. Instead, in, we cultivate joy in the Christian life by remembering that all that Christ has done for us, even in spite of our challenges, even in spite of the circumstances directly in front of us. Now, we do this kind of thing on a small scale all the time. 
Um, I, I think back to times when I had to take on something unpleasant, and we think about the big picture, right? We just try to zoom out a little and remember we're doing this for a purpose. We have a goal in mind, right? So anyone remember having braces? Or maybe you're trying to put braces in someone else's mouth right now, and it's painful in a different way. But I remember when I had to get braces on, I didn't like my smile, but I liked it less with the braces on. I was really embarrassed. I felt like it just made, ugh, made me look silly when I smiled. I had to practice, you know, the, the closed mouth smiles, trying to look, you know, slick, like I don't have the braces in there. But they were there, and they were uncomfortable, and at times they were painful. But I could keep in mind that this was all for a purpose. This was all so that I could eventually have a better smile, a smile that I was more proud of, that I was happier with. Um, maybe you think about it a different way. Think about construction. Now, there's something unpleasant. Hopefully, if you're not commuting as much, maybe you're uh, seeing less of this. But, you know, we endure construction and the delays they cause on highways and subways, in theory at least, so that things will be better after the construction. Um, I don't know that that's always true in New York, but that's the theory, right? We keep in mind that we're enduring the uh, delays and the service interruptions and the shuttle service so that we can have better service ultimately. Okay, you know, maybe that's not the best example in New York, but another example would be exercising, right? I have heard from people that exercise that if you do it, you initially go through some conditioning um, so that you can be in better shape and enjoy being fit and not just trying to get fit. Uh, I will test that out one day myself, but that's what I hear. Um, and so cultivating joy is remembering that goal, but it's bigger than that, right? It's bigger. Deep joy is bigger than our circumstances. It's bigger than that smaller goal, that, that goal you can see with your own eyes. All those things I mentioned in theory, you can see them at the horizon. But Paul can't see what the end is going to look like from where he is. He can't see how this is going to turn out. And so he's got to zoom out. He's got to frame the source of his joy in something bigger than what's tangible at the end of what's around the corner. He's got to pull back and not just deny the current pain, not pretend that there isn't future suffering ahead. He knows he may have to endure that. In fact, it's in times of great difficulty when we're unable to see that way forward that we have to look at this eternal picture that we're living in. We have to take that step back and look at this bigger picture that Christ has painted for us on the cross. And that's what he's doing. And he's hinting that they need this, that it's not just for Paul and his current circumstances. He's sharing out of his current circumstances because the Philippians are going to need this kind of joy cultivated in their lives. They're going to need to know how to choose joy in all seasons. He alludes to this in verse 28. He writes about um, those that would oppose them. And again in verse 30 that there will be uh, suffering, that they're suffering as he has and still is. So he's preparing them to endure persecution. That the persecution that put Paul in jail is not limited to him. That in fact the persecution is growing. It is going to widen and it's going to pull the Philippians in as well that they have the potential to now have to face a new level of suffering for Christ. And so 
we see, and we see this even actually when Paul first comes to them in Acts 16. He actually goes to jail then too. So they've seen firsthand that Paul is suffering to, to advance the gospel, that he's doing this at risk of himself. And so when he is giving them these words of encouragement, it's not a platitude. He's saying it as someone they have known and seen suffer even for their behalf so that they could have the gospel. So as we approach today's text in verse 27, we recognize that the Philippians are not just hearing from someone they love or admire or heard about or met once. They are taking a teaching from someone who has suffered to bring them this very gospel. And he uses a particular word in verse 27 to encourage them to continue in their faith. He uses here a word, um, it's translated here as conduct yourselves. In, another, in other translations, it's sometimes just simply translated as live. Um, and, and it's deeper than just um, living or just handling yourself a certain way. There's a certain flavor to it that hints at citizenship. He is connecting this word, this is very specific word that's not really used much else in the New Testament. And it, it, it indicates citizenship. It indicates um, an allegiance, a belonging. You're conducting yourself according to some level of, of uh, belonging to a group. And so he's asking them later, he says in verse in chapter 3, verse 20, he uses that word citizen, and he says citizens of heaven. He's alluding to that here. He's setting it up. He is trying to make it clear to them that this town, this city, Philippi, they're pretty wealthy. They're pretty comfortable. They're Roman citizens. They're pretty um, secure in their position. But he is saying that they have a higher allegiance by using this word that hints at citizenship, he's drawing on the fact that, yes, they enjoy some of the, uh, the privileges and obligations of citizenship in the Roman Empire, but they have an, a higher allegiance. They have a higher connection. They have a deeper sense of privilege and obligation to the kingdom of God. They are citizens of heaven. Before they're citizens of Philippi, before they're Roman citizens, they are citizens of heaven. And he's saying as prosperous as they are right now, as comfortable as they might be, they don't ultimately belong here. They belong to a place they haven't yet been. They belong to a place they haven't yet experienced. They are not truly citizens of this world anymore. They're citizens of heaven. Do we live as citizens of another place? What does it look like for us to put our allegiance to God before all other allegiances? Think about it. Are we citizens of a, a country or are we citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world? Before we're citizens of Queens or Brooklyn or Manhattan, Staten Island, or if, you're, if God really blessed you, the Bronx, uh, we are citizens of heaven. Before we belong to Long Island or the city of New York or this tri-state area, we belong to him. He has claimed us. We are his. And so we have to remember first and foremost who we belong to, where we're citizens of, that we're not meant to be fully comfortable here, that that shouldn't be our norm, actually. 
But Paul doesn't just ask them to live as citizens of God and stop there. He continues in verse 27 to say that when they have this allegiance in mind, this primary allegiance that comes before all others, that he knows they can live as one in unity, that they are in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In fact, the evidence that they're living as citizens of heaven is that they will strive together as one for the faith of the gospel, that they will work side by side in unity to do the work of God. They can work as one when they're citizens first and foremost of heaven. They're connected by that one spirit and it's demonstrated, that unity is demonstrated through their actions. And though they may experience challenges or disagreements, they can still labor as one. Now, this is definitely a word for us today as we find ourselves in this global crisis, in this pandemic that has disrupted the course of our regular lives, no matter whether you are still working as an essential worker or whether you're working from home or whether you haven't been able to work because you've been laid off. We are all disrupted by this. And now we're separated in a way that we've never been separated before. But even though we have to keep a physical distance from each other, we can still labor as one. We might not be physically side by side anymore, but we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And we serve by that one spirit still today. When you look out for your neighbor, when you're generous with someone who has lost their job or is struggling financially, when you show care to someone who is vulnerable to go and get their groceries for them, when you show compassion to someone who is lonely or grieving, when you labor like that, we are one body with working as one mind serving one God. We are serving and contending as one for the faith of the gospel. Your service there lines up with her service there, with his service over there, and we are one as witnesses to this gospel. Hallelujah, this is a powerful thing that we are a witness even though we're separated, even though we're in different neighborhoods, different boroughs, we're still operating by that one spirit. But Paul then takes it a step deeper. Remember, he is trying to share with them his own struggles so that they can be prepared to choose joy in all circumstances. So he takes even another step further back. And he gives them another really big truth to grab onto. And it's not an easy one. He doesn't put the blinders on. He doesn't pretend that suffering won't come. He actually acknowledges, like I said before, that they are probably already suffering. As we look in verse 30, and even in 29, in verse 30, he says, not only that you believe in him, but you also suffer with him. We've been granted to not just believe in him, but to suffer alongside him. That this is part of discipleship. This is part of the cost of discipleship. That we follow Jesus not only into victory, but we also follow him into his suffering. He wants them to be ready for the fact that whatever they're experiencing and will continue to experience and probably will increase in suffering, that their citizenship in heaven is going to cost them something here on earth. 
that living this way is going to be a challenge, that they will endure suffering because Jesus endured suffering. And so we are living in a time when we have to hang on to that truth larger than ever, deeper than ever. We have to look at that larger picture more than ever. And sometimes it means that we follow Jesus into suffering, knowing that he has that bigger picture for us still. So that means whatever you're going through right now, Christ is with you. He knows suffering. He knows loneliness. He knows pain. He knows grief and sorrow. And whatever you're going through, he is there with you right now. Now here at New Life, I teach a baptism class, and I love it. I love teaching the baptism class. Um, and one of my favorite things about it is teaching new Christians that they, their baptism publicly identifies them with a new family, that they are now in a new family of Christians, that they have brothers and sisters now, not just here at New Life, not just in New York, but all over the world. They have brothers and sisters. They have family in Christ. In fact, we don't just have the people that are here on the earth right now. We have a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, the communion of saints that have gone before us, that have finished their races. We are a part of that family now. That is a big picture statement. And so in this unusual time when we're separated, when we're isolated more than we ever have been, you have to know that you are never actually really alone. I want to proclaim to you a larger reality today that we can choose joy because for us as Christians, there is no truly empty room. There is no true isolation. I'm not denying the loneliness and the anxiety that many of us are experiencing. But just like Paul, I want to remind you of all the facts that are before you, of all the things that Christ has done for you when you started to believe. He brought you into a big family. And when we, while we lack the the, and we grieve the lack of contact, we also remember that there's a larger truth that we're never truly alone, that no room is truly empty. We're connected to one another by one spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And when we pray and we worship, we are joined in the communion of saints that worships alongside us. Wherever you find yourself now, no matter how alone physically you are, the room is truly not empty. And maybe you're in a space that feels a little too small and the number of people are there that are too many, but you still feel alone. You still feel isolated. I want you to remember that just like the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago, you are laboring alongside other Christians around the world. If you're a parent that is not ready for another week of homeschool, you are not alone. There are parents all over, Christian parents that are working, laboring side by side to raise up children that will know their gifts, they will know their talents, and they will love and serve God. Maybe you're in a hospital room. Maybe you're the doctor or nurse or another essential worker. Or maybe you're the patient. I want to encourage you that brothers and sisters around the world are lifting you up in prayer. They are laboring with you 
to bring you in prayer before the throne of grace so that you can obtain mercy in your time of need. I want to remind you of this reality today. I want to invite you to continue to read scripture, to remember this reality, because it won't be before you immediately, but when you read scripture, it is very real and it is very present. I want to encourage you to keep praying, not just for yourself, but for others. Lift them up because when you do, you are bearing each other's burdens. You are carrying one another as brothers and sisters. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are never truly alone. And that means, just like this church in Philippi, that you can choose to cultivate joy, to choose joy in all the circumstances that we're facing. And if you haven't made that choice yet, if you have been struggling to go it alone, I want to invite you today to step into faith with us. You can choose to be a part of this bigger picture of what God is doing and be part of a new family that is not limited by distance, that is not limited by quarantine, and to experience a fullness of joy even in this season. Let's pray. Lord, I lift up everyone that is watching, God, who need a word of encouragement that as the weeks bear on, as we're now able to count months, I pray that they find sources of joy and encouragement in their reading of scripture in their times of prayer, in their awareness that no matter what their immediate circumstances are, they can choose joy. That a deep and abiding sense of joy is available to them in Christ. Help us, Lord, to cultivate this joy and to let it be infectious to let it spread so that your gospel goes forth, not only with power, but with joy. Be with your people, Lord. Be with those that are on the front lines. Be with those that are alone today. Be with those who are in the middle in this strange time, God. Be with those experiencing anxiety and be with those who are finding a renewed sense of joy wherever we are in the spectrum, God. Lead us to choose joy. Help us to cultivate that sense of joy. We trust you, God, and we trust your big picture because you are good. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sharon offered us a great gift today in offering us this word of encouragement. And there are so many points in her sermon that resonated in my own soul. And um, the Apostle Paul can't see the end of his life. He can't see the big picture. He doesn't know exactly where this is headed. 
And yet, even with the unpredictability of his circumstance, Paul is still marked by great joy. And I love that. Because for many of us, we're in this unpredictable time. Uh, it's hard to really know exactly what's going to happen. We know what the scientists say, what the models say, what, where we're going to be in this month and in that month. And at the same time, we are really aware of the unpredictability of life. And yet, in spite of all that, we can have joy. What Paul teaches us is that joy is not something that you just get because of great willpower. Joy is a byproduct of something else. And what Pastor Sharon reminded of is that joy is a byproduct of faith and hope that as we put our trust in Jesus, as we place our hope in Jesus, the fruit of that becomes joy. And that's the invitation for us today. We are not alone. And may we have the kind of faith that says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, form that in us. As we close our service today, I want to remind you that we have a prayer room that's available for you on our website. You can click the link or on the Facebook feed as well. Uh, pastors and leaders are waiting just to pray for you. And if you feel today that God is calling you or you need just to see someone and have someone pray for you, please click on that link. In addition to that, we have our pastors in a, a prayer room, a virtual uh, a prayer lobby or virtual lobby for that matter. Uh, and so if you want to just connect with some pastors and see some familiar faces as well, feel free to click that link and we'd love to see you, pray for you, connect with you. It'd be a great time. As we close our service, as we always do, we end with a blessing. And may the Lord call us to conduct ourselves as citizens of a different kingdom, citizens of a different reality. And as we live in this way, may God guide us and may God fill us with his joy in spite of whatever you might be facing today. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. Let me close with a blessing. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you step away from this online worship gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, truly trusting in Jesus. And may you find your hope in him. And may he fill you with his joy that passes all kinds of understanding, a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. May that joy mark you this week. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the joyful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. May the joy of the Lord fill you. See you next week.